it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Brews News Editor Matt Kierkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry, and have a conversation with the people who make the industry what it is, and see what we can learn from them. This week, we speak with the chair of the Independent Brewers Association Board, Richard Watkins, and its CEO, Kylie Lethbridge. Just about everywhere I go, I hear opinions on the IBA, how it's doing, what it should be doing, what it shouldn't be doing, and what it should be doing differently. And as listeners will know, I've opined on some of those things myself. But I also hear a lot about why breweries consider it's not worth joining or why they are leaving. And this often involves suggestions that the association isn't doing enough in some areas or is focusing on the wrong things. When I have these discussions, I find that there's often very little understanding of the enormity of the association's task, even just in dealing with governments at all levels on issues that are critical to the daily operation of every brewery, whether a member of the association or not. So while we were in Canberra recording the Hottest 100, I took the opportunity to sit down with Richard and Kylie to try and better understand some of the less visible work that the IBA does, outside of its highly visible work on the Indie Seal, the Indies and Brewcon, just to give listeners an understanding of why having an association that represents the interests of brewers is so important even when we don't agree with everything it does. Ultimately, if they don't do it, there's no one that will. I'll say up front that this wasn't done with our usual travel recording gear, so the quality may be a little variable, but I hope you still find the conversation very valuable. Kylie Lethbridge and Richard Watkins, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Coming from Canberra, finally, finally, we've uh, made it to Canberra. But um, one of the things that we wanted to have a chat to you both about is the important work of the IBA. Richard was elected chair of the IBA at the end of last year. And Kylie, you've been in the hot seat as the general manager um, or chief executive officer for... Three years now. <laughs> it seems like as long as COVID, as long as we've been grappling with COVID. Um, so it was a really good opportunity because the role that we have in the industry, we hear a lot um, of the issues that are coming up on a state level and as a federal level, and we report on a lot of them. And then we also hear a lot of brewers talking about it, what's happening with this or why isn't this being done? And often that involves fingers being pointed at the IBA. And uh, you know, so I wanted to have a little bit of a chat to you guys, have a fairly frank conversation with you about, you know, so what is the IBA doing? Um, so I, I guess, Kylie, the, the, the first question to you is, what is the IBA doing? Thanks, Matt. Uh, and it's lovely to be here at Bensfolk having a beer in our nation's capital. Very exciting. Um, always good to get on a plane, as you said, the last three years of, you know, I, my first day was the first day of lockdown. So the first time I could get on a plane last year was like Christmas. And, and thanks for the question and, and thanks for the invitation. We're, you know, always really keen to, I guess, have those open and honest conversations about where everything's at. It's been, you know, my understanding is it's been a, 
a quick evolution of where the IBA has come from uh, and going to, and quite often that's driven by, um, you know, any industry association obviously is driven by the success or failure of the industry. And one that has grown as fast as we have needs to pick up your skirt and, and run as quickly as the industry does. And so even, you know, the things that we were doing either operationally or strategically on day one of my role is, is you know, same but um, on steroids on, you know, year three of my role. And again, those those successes and failures come from having done stuff. You do stuff and people ask you to do more. Um, and so, you know, we were talking earlier that part of my day is uh, – part of my days and nights and weekends is spent on strategic matters, those long game considerations of where we might want to be in two, five, ten years' time and others are answering the, you know, 100, 200 emails that I get every day either from members, from stakeholders – and um, when I talk about stakeholders, I mean our associate members, so those that want to service or already do service the industry, government. So I've got, you know, even flying here, I had three inquiries uh, hit my government, hit my email either from federal or state government. Can you help with this? Can you contribute to that? Um, others, you know, as an example, the Sydney Fashion Festival want to come and get an independent craft beer sponsor. So they say, do you want to work with us? And I'm like, yep, absolutely. So, so it's a bit of everything. It's, you know, if, if you're as old as me, um, and you would understand the mixed bag of lollies, you know, analogy, it's really a bit of everything. Uh, it's reporting to the board, it's managing a budget, it's managing staff, it's still, you know, super excited about um, building programs for BrewCon and changes to the Indies Awards and where are we going with this and it's a busy day but it's a little bit of everything. I should ask because we're going to talk a lot about the policy development and you know some of the legislative uh, you know agenda that the IBA has to deal with but in, in, in setting that, how many staff do you have or, or what is the IBA as a, as, as a, as a physical organisation? We don't have a physical organisation. Well, we do have a physical organisation. We don't have a home anymore. Um, in order to, you know, uh, I guess, reduce our overheads and, and provide more benefit to members and more resources to members, we closed our office last year. We're all home-based now, um, which has its, you know, ups and downs if we're having the open and, and honest conversation. Our team, uh, you know, small but jeepers, they uh, they punch above their weight. Um, me, obviously, we have Kelly, our head of comms and marketing. Cal came back last year from mat leave. She works four days a week. We've just employed a uh, marketing and comms coordinator at two days a week because um, we need that resource to build up our uh, consumer campaign. We have Chev, uh, Siobhan Kieran, who is our head of events, and uh, Jamie Muir, who is our membership manager. She works three days a week. And uh, Kate Patterson is back as our conference director, so for BrewCon, and she'll, uh, she'll be doing the production for the Indies Awards ceremony uh, during BrewCon as well, and Kate's working with us three days a week. So how many staff is that all up? Because it's three full-time, two part-time. Is that right? And a contractor. And a contractor. Rich, you've recently, you're an industry veteran. You've been around for a long, long time um, as a brewer and you've just joined the board as uh, chairman of the board. What what are your observations looking closely at the way that, you know, coming from the, the brewing perspective about how the IBA does its business or, or, or what are your observations about the IBA as, as a advocacy body for the for the industry? 
Yeah, thanks, Matt. Once again, thanks for having us here. I'm glad you've all been able to make it to Canberra eventually. Um, it's only been uh, 20 years, maybe. <laughs> but who's counting? No, good question. Look, I think um, I'm still getting my feet under the under the desk, so to speak, about how, how the IBA all works. I, I do know that, that for what most breweries want to see the IBA do, the IBA is um, unfortunately heavily under-resourced. But it's also, um, you know, not financially able to increase its resources at the moment as well. So it's a bit of a tricky situation. So we really, Kylie really has to prioritise heavily um, what what she actually focuses on because otherwise she could get really lost and, and um, trying to do little bits of lots of things and and not um, really get anything over the line. And you, you need to... You need to feel that feeling of actually finishing something and, con- and and concluding something to to really keep you energized and, and moving along. And I think um, that's something I've noticed. And probably probably if I could be honest, a little worried about. I suppose is just you know just the um, the amount of things that the IBA has got on its plate. Funny, and again, like I, I, this isn't an ad for the IBA, but it is something I've watched very closely because we do cover a lot of the big industry issues that happen, and a, a lot of those are out of the industry's hands. Like it's uh, dealing with government. And last week, when I was reading the newsletter, um, you know, I was really surprised that the ATO is currently conducting a major review about you know looking into the questions of independence. Uh, you know, when is a business economically independent of another brewery? And when I read through the position paper, that could have massively far-reaching consequences for the industry and a lot of individual businesses, including you know, contract brewers can potentially be regarded as being economically part of the brewer that does their brewing, if I'm reading that correctly. And you know, that, that means, for example, the excise rebates that, that they can lose, which would be a massive impost. That sounds like it came out of the blue for, for the IBA. So regardless of whatever else direction it had, suddenly you have to advocate on behalf of the whole industry for what is a very significant issue. Maybe you can just sort of talk us a little bit about what the issue is and what the potential ramifications if you know the IBA isn't able to communicate a position on behalf of brewers. I think, Matt, to try and simplify it, and I don't profess to be an expert on tax law, but um, to, to, to bring it to its, you know, make it understandable to everyone, it's so people aren't double dipping on an excise rebate. It's one licence, one rebate. Um, it, it was existing law, essentially, and it, it was um, and my understanding um, is that the ATO had decided to start to look at it and maybe dedicate some resources to police it and enforce it Um, and uh, went in a little heavy-handed and we heard about it as a result, as we do, of our members saying, this is happening to me, what do I do about it? And, And the threats were significant, hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines with no warning and no recall to have a conversation about it and uh and so as we did as we do when we hear about these things jump straight on it and say please explain why is this happening um and so the fact that the 
machinations within an organisation like the ATO, you know, one arm doesn't necessarily know that the other arm is doing something and so everything was put on hold. And then um, we were having a discussion about clarification. So what we would normally do is say, please clarify so we can give this information to our members. In fact, I know I said to our chairman at the time, we have to put this through media. This has got to go to everyone. This is not just about the IBA. This is something that everyone needs to understand. Um, and so the review and what the inquiry that came out was a direct result of, of that scenario playing out. At the same time, I think you would have seen that we had responded to the definition of a seltzer because that had grown as um, as a product that the ATO needed to get their head around. Obviously, there's a tax framework for beer, there's a tax framework for an RTD, and there was blurred lines in that respect. And so that's when the ATO say, okay, this is we can see this is increasing, this is in terms of more Celsius on the market, and we need some definition around this and some clarification about how to tax it. Again, their remit is all about tax. So it's it's how do we how do we define this and what tax regime do we apply? And so again, we jumped in, provide a submission. I go to the board because I'm by no means an expert on excise or salsa. So I go to the board, get some feedback, and put a submission together on behalf of our members. But I get I guess these aren't things that you can plan. You know, you need to be able to respond to these things very, very quickly. And as you said, they have massive repercussions um, for for businesses. And that, that was just one. That, that was the one that leaped out. And I, I wasn't fully across um, the Seltzer one. But as, as you said, you, um, and I, I guess, you know, with things like ginger beers, um, which can be made in a variety of, of ways, they can be issues that, that, that come up very quickly. And you, you, you're laughing. Have I have I touched on something there? Conversation about ginger beer. Yeah, all ginger beer is another one that's um that sort of fits into two buckets. You know, you can make it as brew it like a beer and pay beer excise, or you can make it like a, an RTD and should be paying RTD excise. And that'll be another one that the ATO will no doubt get the IBA to submit uh, submission on but I think if you if you're thinking about the 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 first one the independence one you're talking about the simplest way to look at it is that brewery A is a big contract brewer and they have 10 small breweries make beer for 10 small breweries and so brewery A is getting the rebate but then also all 10 small breweries are, are getting the rebate and really there's that whole double dipping of I mean, the small breweries should get some rebate, but maybe it's not the same as the rebate, the initial rebate you get for the manufacturing of the alcohol. And I think that's where the ATO, and, and as Kylie said, it's always been um, in the in the tax laws, but I think they just started to look at policing it and it's caught a few people um, unaware of, um, you know, that they were probably double dipping or that their manufacturer was claiming the rebate and that meant they couldn't. But you, you, you've touched on one of the things I often talk about on the podcast, the unintended consequences that can come where, you know, and, and I've been saying for a while that Seltzer is going to trigger this sort of conversation with, with, with the ATO because on, on one hand, when beer was a standalone category um, that, that was very distinct and, you know, we, we saw the situation, Richard, a couple of years, it's probably 10 years or more ago now when the government first cracked down on RTDs and brought in the RTD tax and what were once vodka cruises suddenly became cruises and they came up with a malt-based beverage and the government then had to change the definition of beer and that potentially has 
ramifications. And seltzer is exactly the same sort of thing where you can make something that tastes exactly the same at 5% by putting just ethanol into cordial for want of a better, or you can brew it um, and it's taxed two very different ways. But the, the, the ATO looks at this and sometimes I think in the headlong rush into a category, these are the things that sometimes can get missed. And, you know, suddenly if you've got craft brewers blurring the lines, it can be very hard to advocate on behalf of an industry segment as an industry segment. Is that a reasonable? I think one of the great things about our industry is that um, everyone loves innovation. And I guess um, when you innovate, you always come up with different products um, that maybe don't fit exactly into a definition that you have to pay your tax with at the tax office. Now, the tax office isn't that innovative. Um, so I guess there's a there's a movement of innovation through our industry, which is um, well ahead of the, the, the tax office um, tax office's innovation in changing their the laws or keeping their laws um, modern enough to, to meet all the different trends that are emerging from, from our great industry. And my observation would be that if the tax office is going to make an error, they're going to make an error on the side of generating more income, or more revenue than less? That's right. And look, we, I think we all know that at some point in the future, we will go to volumetric tax rate. It will be something that it'll be the only way forward for the for – the, I, I, well, I think that's what the tax office think um, without speaking directly for them. I mean, this was talked about 10 years ago when they first started looking at changing excise tax and it would be volumetric. And I mean, for me, I think we've always, um, as, as a beer industry, we've always tried to fight the wet tax um, and volumetric, you know, a volumetric tax rate is a solution to, to that. I mean, the wine manufacturers aren't going to like that, but... You know, I mean, there's probably a lot of innovate. There was certainly innovation going on in the wine industry. That's probably the ATA probably isn't looking at right now. There's a lot of, um, you know, fruit being used in wineries these days to generate different products, for example. And um, you know, if you look at, you know, when you're adding fruit to cider, for instance, you've got a you, you've got to, it's treated differently. So you can't just claim the wet tax when you make a fruited cider. So I imagine if you're making a fruited wine, it's the same same scenario. But I'm sure the wineries aren't paying the RTD tax, for instance. So I think volumetric tax rate is the, is the way forward to neutralise. And, and what it'll do is it'll also reset all the pricing in retailers as well. So that'll be a, it'll be a big change. I think we probably need to add that to Kylie's list to look at <laughs> on how that will affect um, our industry. But I, I, think, I think it'll be the next couple of years that will come in. But you raise an interesting point because whilst – Brewers have for a long time had an eye on the way that wine is taxed. Distillers always had a had an eye on the way that beer is taxed. And if there is a move towards volumetric, that'll benefit uh, brewers compared to wineries, but it will also benefit distillers compared to brewers, I'd imagine. And this law of unintended consequences, we don't know. You know, with with um, again as an observer, and I'm no expert. But when I look at the way that the market has gone for, you know, fruited sours or, you know, hazy beers that are low on beer's traditional bitterness but big on the fruit flavours, a lot of those flavours can be recreated using ethanol. And if beer and, you know, an RTD tax the same 
volumetrically, that potentially makes it hard for brewers if their process is more expensive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, um, but I think if you look at it, I mean, what are we we you know, 130 million litres of craft beer is made. I'm not sure exactly how much of spirit is made, but, I mean, I think just because spirits become a bit cheaper, is that going to see a massive amount of growth in the distilling sector? Probably a little bit, but maybe not as much as, probably not not the same effect as, as beer sort of positioning itself next to a wine in terms of pricing, though. I think the the positioning of beer and wine in the pricing side of things will be, a bigger outcome for beer than it would be for uh, um, the outcome for, for increasing distilling. Well, that's where I guess we have to cross <laughs> our fingers because, again, just as somebody who loves history, I watch throughout history how one of the most potent drivers for odd social change has been tax. You know, the, the, the difference between Scotch and Irish whiskey is significantly driven by the way that different ingredients were taxed. Um, you know, you can still walk the streets of London and there are still houses that have what were once windows uh, bricked up because there was a glass tax. And the consequences of minor changes in tax, and I, I would actually argue that the volumetric tax on beer is one of the reasons why we're the most uh, significant mid-strength market in the world. And then also, you know, the... Full-strength beer has significantly shifted from 4.9% to 4.2% in the last decade. So, you know, it's, it's one of those careful what you wish for things. But we've gotten a little bit deep in the in, 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 in the tax policy, but inadvertently it actually shows how complicated these issues are because looking at an association like the IBA, you don't have a tax lawyer on staff and... Getting that sort of advice, I'd imagine that sort of modelling would be a very expensive undertaking. Absolutely, Matt. It's one of the, you know, again, I wasn't, I wasn't an expert in tax before I took this job and realised very quickly I had to be an expert in lots of things, pregnancy labelling and fazants and uh, national legislation. But, um, you know, and and quickly get my head around excise. And obviously, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me, it's one of the oldest taxes in the world. Add that to the fact that we're one of the most highly regulated countries when it comes to pr- producing beer. Again, I'd argue beer is our national drink. We're Australians. We drink beer. And so it's always going to be a part of what we do would be my assumption. It's also the next step in tax. You know, we responded and we spent a lot of time in providing what I think is a very, very detailed response to the uh, Prime Minister's inquiry into uh, excise administration, the actual process of it. What came out the end was one tweak on what is one of the most antiquated taxes in the world, not only when it comes to the framework in which it's administered, but the actual administration of it. Um, and so I think we will always have some sort of remit that is... is and there's also... And what was that? The, what was the tweak? The quarterly reporting. Yes, sorry, the quarterly reporting uh, rather than some brewers had to report weekly, up to as regularly as weekly. And so one of the things our submission said was, can we just please do it with our bass? 
And so that was one of the changes that came out. But but not only us, there was lots of stakeholders that wanted significant change in that space and there wasn't significant change made. And it was probably the opportunity to make significant change to one of the oldest taxes in the country. And, you know, just recently we've there's a, a good percentage and a good group of our members that want us to still proactively deal with these taxation issues. And so the board's agreed to put in a taxation task force who will develop a discussion paper and understand what happens with volumetric tax. And so, you know, this goes back to our earlier discussion on on what we can and can't achieve. We rely on our members to volunteer to help us achieve things that are either on the ball at the, uh, on the boil at the minute or things that we want to do in the future. Our volunteer project groups, you know, add value to those that small amount of staff that I was talking about before. Our state chapter leads do amazing work um, uh, in adding value to what we can do because we're not on the ground in South Australia or Western Australia or uh, Northern Territory. Um, our, you know, the people that we sit on the taxation task force are going to volunteer their time because they're passionate about it and because we don't have that expertise or the, or the time to be able to tackle that issue. Um, so we, we would hope, I guess, that with a... You know, a board of seven, currently eight, with an advisor and a and a small team that our members and our and the culture of our industry still allows us to to punch above our weight because there is a lot of volunteerism. I guess you know, we we really went down the um, rabbit hole of talking about tax and and that and when I think about it, you know, I was going to skim some of the other topics you've got whether it's pregnancy labeling or packaging generally and that's not just fsans but it's also looking at packaging guidelines um for for, for members you've got nutrition labels the, you know the, the the government is seems to be wanting to constantly make work for itself at brewer's expense um and each of those i, I guess would be just as complicated a topic that the staff have to rapidly become experts in. And Matt, just to, I know that you have a wide listenership, it's not just brewer's expense, it's small business. You know, where all of our members, regardless of whether or not it's a tier one brewery, and, and for those that don't know, that's where you start in terms of membership, you know, for the IBA. If you're a tier six brewery, you're still a small business in this country. And so the, the way that I often speak is this is not about people that are producing alcohol. This is about a small business. You know, where we're sitting today, Rich is a family business and the people that work for him are, are you know, we're, we're Australians trying to make a go of it. And so an over-regulated uh, industry makes it, it is a challenge regardless. Um, and so when we look at Things like, you know, I'm constantly, and Sabrina um, will attest to this, I'm, I'm looking at her as we speak, she's not saying anything, but um, uh, I'm constantly the, at the alcohol stakeholder groups under Fazans and I'm the lippy one, I'm the one that's known for having their say because I'm, I'm going, I constantly say, just rip the Band-Aid off, stop doing this to us every two years, tell us the end game. If the end game is you want, this to happen from a labelling perspective, don't just do something every year or every two years because, you know, the cost, I was having a conversation with one of our members the other day, the cost of the next round of changes is estimated at 30 grand. Now that's one business. So, you know, rip the mandate off. Tell us, tell us what they want us to do at the end with packaging. Surely it's easier for them. Surely it's easier for us. And, and 
So my simplistic look at that, even though I've worked for, for government for a lot of my career, so I understand it's not simplistic, but for a small business, it's, it's constantly, what's the next thing? What's the next thing for uh, state legislation, state regulation? What's the next thing for marketing regulation? What's the next, you know, how much more do we have to pay attention to? And because these small businesses are challenged with their own no HR, no marketing, they rely on us to pay attention to that for them. So I, I, this is why I called you the policy wonk. Uh, very, very, very gently at the start, not not to be, uh, uh, you know, because I, I think there there is so much that you have to be across, and there is so uh, so much that I, I think I, I described it to you beforehand as being the submerged part of the iceberg, the th- things that most people don't see, but is the biggest part of of, of what the IBA does. I guess moving to some of the more visible things, the things that everybody does see is Brucon, which thankfully will be back, fingers crossed, this year. <laughs> you can't take anything for granted anymore. Um, and, and, and the Indies that has managed to run the, the, the last couple of years, it is very visible. But, and, and I'm sure that anyone who's working in a brewery and has run any form of event knows that events are just much bigger and much more trouble than than they're worth and the IBA runs two of the biggest tell tell us a little bit about it because they're both services to members and very important services to members and associate members but they're also revenue drivers for the association and those revenue drivers you know that we've had to cancel for three years now um, is why you know we've been challenged it's why we're tried to save as many costs as we could is why we closed our office and all of the all the other stuff is to con- is to keep our head above water so we can continue to support our members my view was through through a global pandemic you know and and my colleagues and in other industry associations were saying it's just survival it's our survival but it's also helping our members survive and so for me every dollar that could be saved and and for me every dollar of membership money is precious it's something that again, those small businesses that I talked about before that could spend it on something else is precious. And I take, I'm, an, I'm the custodian of that, the board's the custodian of that, and I take that very seriously. Um, and so, for, for again, we've relied on those volunteer resources to continue to punch out um, benefits for members and webinars and technical resources. and um, and But, but the, the fact that we can now... I'm not breathing easier because I don't want to say something that I'm going to regret, but I am breathing a little easier. We sold out our uh, Brucon Expo in, I want to say, two or three weeks, and that was over Christmas and New Year. We've got a waiting list of um, of uh, businesses that want to exhibit at Brucon, but again, we're sold out. We're currently trying to play the game of Tetris to see if we can find some more space in the floor plan. My understanding and talking to the industry is that people coming together at things like drink tech, Seabrew has really motivated everybody about the fact that we can get together again and um, so our international interest was strong, very, very strong for Brucon. We've got a Chinese contingent coming out um, and so now we're, you know, we've done one level of layer of the conference program. We're planning the indies. The venues are really exciting. The fun parts of BrewCon are really exciting in terms of pulling that all together. To be super honest with you, Matt, I'm freaking out because I've never had to do it before. Both of them at the same time. It's a new thing for me. 
less staff on board. We've geared up three times, spent money on floor plans, money on Harry the Hire, all those only to have to cancel. So that disappointment and that nervousness is still there. Um, but I'm really confident, you know, we went out early because I was getting the demand. I couldn't keep up with the phone calls. When can I book my ticket for Brucon? I don't care what's on the program, I'm coming. So I'm feeling really good about it. I'm hoping the board's feeling really good about it. The indies we're working through, we're looking at being ready to launch uh, open for entries in April. Again, we'll, we're looking at what changed last year. Rich might want to talk a bit more about that. Uh, what we'll look at um, evolving next or this year and into the future. Um, so only positive, truckload of hard work, but we're all feeling really good about it. And, you know, building the bank balance up again. It's going to be fantastic, first of all, to have a industry, you know, event on um, of the magnitude that, that we're trying to do it. Uh, I think it's going to be something that, you know, the IBA hasn't seen before. It's going to be um, next level in terms of information, in terms of people who are exhibiting, in terms of um, the lectures and the information that as someone in in our industry, um, you know, you'll, you'll learn a lot coming to Brucon. So if you haven't thought about coming to Brucon, you should definitely think about coming to Brucon. It's, I guess I've been lucky enough to go to a lot of these other conferences around the world and you really do get energised going to a going to a craft brewing conference, whether it's in the US or in, in Singapore or over in Germany or um, England or wherever it is. It's um, There's nothing like um, having so much information at you you know in your hands um and sometimes it can be over you know it can be over oaring really it can be like um you know there's just too much to try and take in but i think this is what brucon's going to be like it's going to be a, a case of somebody going to brucon and going wow i'm just not going to be able to take all this in which is exciting really exciting for our industry and and look you know, as a positive thing for the actual IBA, it is a positive revenue stream and hopefully that allows us to look at more of resources um, sooner than later, um, which I think is important to be able to keep up with 700 breweries putting in weekly requests. Um, yeah, looking, look, say looking forward to it. You, you've raised an interesting point because... I guess over COVID, we learned that we can access a lot of information remotely and we can communicate reasonably effectively remotely because of the, the, the tools we have available. But nothing replaces that feeling of having five or 600 people in a room exchanging passion and ideas and you know sharing those things that can really only happen at a conference like Brucon. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think you know, just speaking for 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 myself and for for Ben Spoke. I mean, we we do, we're still doing a lot of meetings online. I think everyone's doing a lot of meetings and spending a lot of time online running their businesses. So to try and think of holding a conference that was going to be done digitally online, I think it wouldn't have had the same impact because everyone's sort of trying to get away from online a lot and get back to, you know, physical meetings. So I think I think it's important. And like you say, it's very hard to get passion out of speakers um, online. I mean, seeing them and, and hearing them um, and being able to feel the, you know, the atmosphere in the in the audience of other beer enthusiasts and brewers is is something you can't get unless you, you, go, to, you go to Brewcon. Now, just very conscious of time, we're at the end of January. We're on the eve of the hottest 100 craft beers, which is uh, it's going to be interesting to see how indie beer 
goes tomorrow. But what should the industry, uh, you know, be hearing from the IBA at the moment? For me, um, you know, as I said, that Brucon and the Indies being together again, and and you know, I can't. The first time I think we could actually get around the table and catch up with members, it is very, very different. Um, as standing there and having a beer, I think it was actually at Ben Spoke's tap room when we were doing the excise um, advocacy, but um, meeting people and, and face-to-face, even you, Matt, you know, the first time you and I met, I was like, oh, my God, we're long-lost friends because we talked and, and video conferenced. Um, so that's exciting. Continuing... You know the stuff under the water that we were talking about. So, so now we're involved in. I'm clarifying this before I say it, but something in every state and territory in regard to education and training. Um, we're very, very conscious. I'm, I'm on the plane. I'm writing today the survey that's going to go out to members. That is the evidence and the research piece we need to justify being on that skilled migration list because of our skill shortage of brewers. Um, I've been, you know, uh, dem- in a huge amount of demand for doing some salary benchmarking because salaries have just gone through the roof nationally, and people don't know what to pay. So we're going to do some research on that. So there's the there's the stuff that ticks along every day. There's the consumer campaign that that we're that we've got a go live launch date for March. We're building the consumer channels in terms of content imagery down to how to pour a beer, what is craft beer, and the, the media inquiries. We get the licensing and legislation stuff that comes up uh, every day. So the this year we'll be developing a craft beer strategy uh, in Western Australia in partnership with the West Australia Brewers Alliance and Association and government. That's super exciting. We're going to review the Queensland strategy. Um, so there's something happening at, at most state or territory levels. Again, some work in Tassie that I'm going down to Tassie to do. We've planned, we've got a 12-month mashup schedule, which I don't think my bag's going to be unpacked a lot this year. Um, looking forward to coming to Queensland in Feb. We've got the High Country Hop Symposium in March at Beechworth. So lots of activities where we're actually engaging with members, something every month actually. Um, but then there's, as we talked about before, that long game. So that getting our 10-year roadmap adopted by the federal government, um, the, you know, the, the my aim when I started and I had my two interviews was to say, beer's not recognised. We're not in federal policy. You do a, you, you do a word search, we're nowhere other than a tax. And so the, the benefits that wine enjoys from the federal government is, you know, my aim one day is to have us have some sort of recognition. So there's the stuff that we work on or I work on that is that chugging away. And then there's the fun stuff that I talked about before. So for me, it's just a big year. Um, Rich might want to talk about a constitution review, which is a big thing for a board. So lots happening, Matt. Rich, do you want to talk about the uh, Constitution Review and uh, what, what the board is going to be focusing on for 2023? Yeah, sure. Look, um, I think firstly, I think um, the board's here to try and be helpful to the other 700 breweries, all shapes and sizes, and we want to be helpful to, to our members. We're not going to help you go through a local planning um, um, authority to increase the size of your taproom. But we are going to be there to help you. But you do get asked. We do get asked. We do get asked. But we are going to be helpful when the new, um, you know, uh, HR laws for mental health come in later in the year and how what you have to do as a business to be compliant 
regarding that. That's they're the things that I think the IBA can be helpful to towards people. And running a business, whether it's a, a small, very small, small, medium, large business, it's it's exceptionally hard in these circumstances to run a business. Um, and if we can be helpful to helping people run their businesses better, then I think we've, we're doing our job. And I would also say that there's a lot of members out there, or sorry, a lot of breweries out there who benefit heavily from a lot of the work the IBA does that aren't members. And I would urge them to rethink that position. And if they have concerns about being a member, to reach out and, and look at why and share with us why they don't want to be a member um, because we'd like to be better at um, trying to support all our members. And I think that's where the Constitution plays a bit of a part because the Constitution obviously is now 10 years old, like we mentioned earlier, and it's time to have a good look at that and see that it fits um, the spectrum of the 700 breweries we have in Australia and how – and that governance, governance piece is – it's really important that it is um, kept – um, up to date with what's going on in, in the industry. And I don't probably won't go into a heap of detail in it because I don't think we've really um, narrowed down all the detail and all the changes and the suggestions and the additions we want to put into it. But we do need to make it more relevant to our industry today and that will then benefit all our members. Look, I think that's as uh, good a place to leave it as anywhere. So, and you know, knowing that we've only really just touched on how much uh, is involved in being and running the IBA. So, uh, Richard Watkins, thank you for hosting us at Benchbook. I'm glad I finally got here and it has been 20 years, but there was COVID. And Kylie Lethbridge, thank you very much for joining us as well. Thanks, Matt. Thanks a lot. And that was Kylie Lethbridge and Richard Watkins. I'm keen to hear your thoughts on this chat, even if it starts with, don't quote me on this. Now, just as I think that brewers and industry suppliers should join the IBA, I reckon that what we do at Brews News is pretty important too. And we can only continue to do it with your support. We don't shape our news to appease advertisers. We do it to inform our readers and listeners, including you. And if you value that news service, you think it's important or would miss it if it went away, which it could, you can help us out by sponsoring the show. If you want to reach the brewing industry, we are the best way to do that with your products and services. If you're a listener, even just taking a little bit of time to review us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting service, or even share us on social media is a great way to help us out. You can also join the conversation by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts or alternatively join us in the Facebook group. And the password for that is Soapbox. We'll be back again this Friday with Brews News Week, diving deeply into the news that has taken place this week. We look forward to seeing you then.